Hey friends, it's the Spectacular Now, back with the Lady Killers episode. I'm Nicole, here with my two best witches, Kenzie and Denise. Hello. So, And we got to see The Exorcist on the big screen last week, a really big screen actually, at our local science center. It was metal. It was very metal. Finally, I can say that I've seen it all the way through now. Exactly. So what did you think? I really liked it. And did you have the urge to giggle at any time? Um, not so much this time around. I think because I appreciated the story a little bit more. Watching it all the way through from start to finish, you you know, you get the whole picture and everything kind of seems more real once you've kind of been through the journey that the characters have been through. You get sucked in more and it, it, you know, obviously it doesn't seem as ridiculous, but... Did it scare you? I wasn't... I wouldn't say I was scared, but I mean, for like a good classic scary film, I liked it. Wasn't it cool to like watch on screen and say, hey, I've been there to those steps in the house. Definitely brought back more memories of being there and visiting them. Yeah. 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 And one thing I noticed the first time I saw it, you know, scary. We talked about that before. The second time now, seeing it after all these years, there are there were scenes in there that I'd completely forgotten about. And now, I don't know if it's I've seen so many movies or I'm older or what, I really appreciated the photography. I mean, the angles and the light and the dark, and it was amazing that they used those techniques uh, in that movie. Didn't realize it. I read that there's multiple cuts and there's actually a director's cut. And I wonder if that's what we saw or if oh. we saw like more of the original. Yeah. Um, well, it did include the scene of her walking crab walk backwards or... down the stairs, which you said they added in in a later edition. Right. So we could have seen a special version. Which I'm glad we did because I feel like it, it should have been included in the film anyways. It's such a creepy, weird thing that happens. Oh, yeah, I wonder why they cut it yeah. originally. Maybe it was just for to save time. Yeah, but it's such a quick, like, two seconds you see her going down it was, the stairs. It was so fast yeah. that I don't know why they would edit it out. Maybe it required special effects that just weren't available at the time. So, maybe. like, maybe it needed some computer editing. I don't know. We I should... don't know. I guess that would depend on when that version of the film was released. I believe with the 25th anniversary okay. of the release of the film, they added those scene, that scene back in and possibly some other scenes. Yeah. So the technology at that point, we were talking like the 90s, it would have been right. sufficient enough to add that kind of stuff. And so maybe they did use it then. And I'm so proud to say that I did not have any nightmares <laughs> and I was able to sleep with the lights off. Then. Yay. <laughs> and I've been okay since. No so. PTSD. PTSD still in remission. <laughs> right now. Yeah. On with the show. Our featured lady killer, Nanny Doss, was an American serial killer 
convicted of killing 11 people over approximately 30 years, including four of her husbands, two of her children, one sister, her mother, one of her mother's-in-law, and two grandchildren. She was dubbed the Giggling Granny, the Jolly Widow, Arsenic Nanny, reminds me of someone else we talked about, <laughs> Black Widow, Lonely Hearts Killer, and Lady Bluebeard. More later on how she earned some of those nicknames. Nanny Doss was born Nancy Hazel on November 4th, 1905 slash 1906, depending on what source you read, in Calhoun County, Alabama, to a family of poor farmers. Her father, James, was strict, ruthless, apparently abusive, while her mother, Louisa, called Lou, did little to assuage the abuse. She herself was reportedly also physically abused. And as a young child, Nanny was expected to work in the fields. Her father would not let her attend any social functions, even if they were church youth group social functions. And, um, I mean, I remember what youth group social functions were like as a kid, and <laughs> I can kind of see why he wouldn't let her go to them. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Oh, they're they're we got there? Up to, Yeah, we got up to some stuff. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> she was not allowed to keep company with boys, obviously. And it's documented that because of their controlling nature, Nanny rebelled against her strict parents and became a bit boy crazy. And she would even sneak out of her bedroom at night and meet up with young men. But prior to this, there is a crucial part of the story that was a life-changing event for her that occurred at the age of seven when Nanny suffered a traumatic brain injury to the frontal lobe of her brain. The train she was riding on screeched to a sudden halt, and because of that bitch inertia, she split her head open like the Grand Canyon on a metal bar of the seat in front of hers. Wow. Right? And I guess this led to a lifetime of migraine headaches, occasionally feeling like her thinking was crooked, as she described it. As an aside, a traumatic brain injury, which we'll refer to as a TBI, can lead to a life of cognitive changes, including poor concentration, Confusion, mood lability, such as abnormal laughing, a giggling granny. So this is called pseudobulbar affect, which is a condition that's characterized by episodes of sudden, uncontrollable, and inappropriate laughing or crying, like to the point where someone will go on and on and it's like they can't stop laughing or crying. And it's usually totally improportionate to the event, like something won't even be really that funny or something won't be that serious and it's like they can't control their emotions. Also, anger and irritability, aggression, impulsivity, poor planning, difficulty with decision-making, amnesia, seizures, depression, apathy, and a slew of other side effects that can affect many of the body's systems. The Hazel family, though hardworking, was poor. Nanny dropped out of high school at age 15 to work on the farm full-time, which that probably happened a lot back then. This is the 20s and 30s we're talking about. Later that same year, she got married so she was I think 16 when she got married uh. and it was not a match made in heaven in fact it was sort of arranged by her dad the guy was Charlie Braggs and her father had pre-approved of him apparently they worked together so Braggs was super pumped about the marriage at first because Nanny came across as an avid churchgoer he described her as pretty girl sturdy build lots of fun 
Braggs later described Nanny as quick-tempered and restless. She seemed to get angry easily. And when she became upset about something, she would pout and take off to who knows where and often did so with other men. And I guess this happened a lot, which her husband got pretty sick of. So Nanny and Charlie Braggs had four daughters by 1927. The year their youngest, Florine, was born, the two middle toddler daughters each developed severe stomach troubles shortly before their deaths. Hmm. Mm. Sounds like something we've talked about before. They were toddlers. Yes, they were young. Yes. But also, their daughter's name was Florine. Right. I think it was short for something else. But yeah, Florine. Isn't that an element on right. the periodic table? That's kind of strange, yeah. <laughs> Both deaths were ruled accidental food poisoning at the time, but family and law enforcement believed otherwise. It was never proven, though. This may have been the start of Nanny's killing spree, with her first, her t- first two victims being her own children. Also, during their marriage, Nanny's father, James, left her mother. Nanny was furious, and to punish him, she would not allow him to see the grandchildren. So Nanny was Team Lou all the way, and they became very close at this time. And Nanny spoke publicly later that she would do anything for her mother, although her devotion was called into question, as you will soon see why. And after eight years together, Braggs had had enough of Nanny's going off with other men, the fights and the nagging suspicions that she had somehow caused the deaths of their children. So understandably, he decided to divorce Nanny, And he did not trust leaving their two children with her. So Florine went to live with Grandpa James. And the eldest, Melvine, stayed with Charlie. These are some whack-ass names. (laughs) Didn't take long for Nanny to meet and marry her second husband, a man named Frank Harrelson, also from Alabama. He was older and he had children from a previous marriage. Nanny later described him as a heavy drinker who was mean and abusive. But they were together for 15 years until one night, Harrelson came home from a bender and snapped at her that she had better come to bed with him or he would leave her. And at that moment, Nanny decided to teach him a lesson and added liquid arsenic to his homemade moonshine. So big surprise, he died. And really, if you're making your own alcohol and you die, the doctor's probably going to think, oh, Mm -hmm. alcohol poisoning from this tub gin you're making. Mm -hmm. How convenient for her. Exactly. But during her marriage to Frank, Nanny Doss murdered again, this time her own grandchildren. In the early 1940s, Melvina, Nanny's daughter, got married and had a boy she named Robert. Two years later, Melvina delivered a healthy girl after a long labor. So the story goes, while Melvina and her husband rested in the hospital room, Nanny was there rocking her newborn granddaughter. But within an hour, the baby was dead. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Melvina swore she saw her mother stab the baby through the fontanelle on top of the baby's head with a (gasps) stick pin or hat pin. Oh, my gosh. Melvina told family members, but nobody believed her. They were like, you're exhausted. You had just given birth. It was a medication. You were hallucinating it. You imagined it. And apparently she believed them because about six months later, Melvina left her young son, Robert, in her mother's care, and he mysteriously died from asphyxia. 
Coincidence? Mm. I think not. No. Oh, and she collected $500 in life insurance money from a policy she had taken out in Robert's name. So, that is four young children now to die in her care, but apparently nobody could put two and two together. Frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. It was a different time, I guess. Yeah, nobody would ever imagine that a loving matriarch of the family would be capable of such a thing. Yeah. Ugh. Her third husband was Harley slash Arley, again, depending on what source you're reading. (laughs) Harley Arley Lanning of North Carolina. And he too was a drunkard and very popular with the ladies. Nanny was very jealous of this. And in 1952, apparently he threw a party while she was out of town. She had heard that this was a wild party and the cops showed up. She was so furious that she poisoned his food and he soon died. Nanny then learned that Arlie had willed the house to his sister. You can imagine how she took that, right? (laughs) So she lit the house on fire and drove out of town, making sure to take the TV with her. Oh, well, yeah, I can't forget that. That's the most important thing. (laughs) Right. So she went to stay with Arlie's mother in a nearby town. After a few weeks, the insurance check for the fire arrived. So I don't know how she set this fire But apparently they didn't suspect arson and she got an insurance check sent to where she was staying. But the check was made out to Arlie and because of the will, the money would be, the money would go to his sister. So before Arlie's sister got the check, Arlie's mother suddenly and inexplicably passed away. Nanny then forged a signature and cashed the check illegally. And after that drama was over, she went to stay with her sister, Dovey, who also died mysteriously soon after. I mean, she's just leaving a trail of bodies in her wake, yeah, but... Yeah, what the heck? She's just really... What did the sister do? Yeah, right? Just got in her way somehow? I'm not sure. So Nanny was now zero to three, one divorce and two murdered, but she was not to be dissuaded and continued her search for Mr. Wright. After Lanny's death, Nanny signed up with the matchmaking company called Diamond Circle, which was like a lonely hearts club, which I guess they were pretty popular back then. Uh, And what would happen is every month for a year, she would receive a list of eligible bachelors. And soon after, she began writing to one Richard Morton from Kansas. In January of 1953, they informed the Diamond Circle that they had married and to take their names off the Lonely Hearts list. While married to Lanning, Nanny's mother Lou announced that she would be staying with the newlyweds. And apparently Nanny was like, uh, no. Within a few days of arriving at the house, Lou began having excruciating abdominal pains and she died soon after. Well, so sure, nobody I'm is sure off it was limits. natural causes. Right, right. It had to be natural yeah. causes. Nobody's off limits. <laughs> Marriage to Lanning was not the match Nanny had hoped it would be. He worked late nights at a pool hall. Then during the day, he would dress up in a suit and go off doing what she had no idea. She was a little jealous. She became very uneasy about this and grew suspicious of his actions. What is he doing? Where is he going? Who is he with? This all came to a head while she was away on vacation and she had been told that Morton was seen buying a set of rings while she was gone. She became convinced he had another woman in his life 
I kind of see that. So she did what came naturally to her, <laughs> which was buy a bottle of poison to teach him a lesson. She stirred poison into his coffee and that was that. Oh, and that other woman? Police believed that the rings were actually a gift for Nanny. They could find no proof of another woman. Dang. Right? Nanny's fifth and final marriage was a real dud. His name was Sam Doss, and he worked repairing highways and was also a part-time Baptist minister from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He looked down on things that Nanny considered to be fun, and he would forbid her from having a TV or dancing or reading, like, silly magazines or things he saw were just inappropriate. So her life was pretty controlled. And obviously, he did not know who he was dealing with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and this was awesome. But when police asked her why she killed Doss, she stated, he got on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he had no idea the length she went to to get that TV from that house fire. <laughs> right? Now he's saying yeah. you can't watch it. He came between her and her TV. Yeah, she's like, like hell oh, no. hell no. Okay. <laughs> so it took her two tries to poison Doss. The first attempt sent him to the hospital for 23 days, but when he came home, she added a heaping dose of rat poison to his coffee, and it finally did the trick. But Sam Doss was the last husband that Nanny would have the chance to poison, because if not for a tenacious physician who refused to sign the death certificate without an autopsy, there might have been more dead husbands of Nanny Doss. A pathologist determined that Doss had died from a heavy dose of arsenic poisoning that was at a level lethal enough to kill 18 men. So she was like, this is not going to fail a second time. We're going to get her done this time. And on Friday, November 26, 1954, Nanny Doss was brought into a Tulsa police station for questioning. And the police could not believe when they saw her that this grandmotherly woman could have murdered anyone. They found her to be flirtatious and very funny. She cracked jokes and was completely at ease with the whole situation. She was eating it up. Does she remind you of somebody else we talked about? <laughs> they have a lot in common, yeah, actually. Yeah, they, they sure do. do. Their choice of poison and... Oh, yeah. But I think Nanny Doss is worse. Yeah, definitely. Because so she killed much. babies. Oh, she killed kids and right. babies. And... And, and Arsenic Anna, she had a code of ethics. She did. She was right. Like, <laughs> no babies. Yeah. She had... No mamas. She had a constant Emma. Right. She was... Yeah. Right. Yeah. She was described as very cheerful and talkative, and she enjoyed the intention and was the center of it. After 24 hours of intermittent interrogation, Nanny confessed to the murder of Sam Doss and signed a formal statement saying that she was the murderer. And I read another interesting point that I just am now thinking. They knew that she liked to look at these tabloid-style magazines, and they bribed her with them. They said, we'll give you these tabloid magazines that you like, but come on, you just got to sign the confession that you murdered Sam. Let's just get this over with and you can have your magazines. And so she agreed to it. <gasps> it worked. It worked because oh she wanted God. these magazines. Damn. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I did read that somewhere. And I thought, you know, I'm not surprised if that was actually what all it took to yeah. get her to. Yeah. I mean, it took her nothing to decide to just kill all these people close to her. I mean, right. you know, and just a little persuasion. She's like, oh, yeah, I'll sign it. I don't understand the murdering of the babies, though. Her two children and her 
grandchildren. I mean, what just possess? You're rocking yeah. your newborn granddaughter. And like what? She was like, oh, look at that dent in the top of her head. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm so You're... close to her brain. Yeah. I just want to stab it. It was like she couldn't control her impulse to do it. Yeah. Which again, you know, I mean, points by that to... point, you know, she's a grown woman. She's already been troubled since she was little. Mm-hmm. It's just like second nature to her. She's uh, like, hey, why, I've already done it before. Let's just do it again. Yeah. Or or she was like punishing her daughter for something. I don't know. It was just so strange. What I can't figure out is she was married five times. Yes. Didn't any of those men see what she was like? I mean, they had to have seen something. A few of them, I guess, were significant drinkers. So they might have been inebriated often and maybe they just didn't. They didn't on. even notice. One guy was off kind of with other women a lot. So none of them were matches made in heaven, it sounds like. During her early detention, more and more information began making its way to the police station. Information including three other dead husbands, a dead grandson and granddaughter, and other suspicions. After a couple more days of interrogation, Nanny confessed to the murders of her three husbands. And in several of the photos of Nanny taken publicly at the time, she's smiling for the camera. She's very at ease. Nanny Doss wanted to convince everyone that each of these men had deserved to be killed. They were drunks. They were abusive. They were unfaithful. She downplayed her crimes as nothing more than her failed attempts at trying and failing to find Mr. Wright. So no harm done because it was done in the name of love. She was the innocent victim, not the people she poisoned. Yikes. Police were convinced that Nanny Doss had other victims, though. There were just too many deaths associated with her, such as her mother that she loved so much, father, a sister, two of her children, two of her grandchildren, a mother-in-law. When police confronted her with their suspicions that she had murdered all these family members, she apparently became incensed like she turned dark she refused to admit to any wrongdoing in the deaths of any of her family members ever she never admitted to any of them however the evidence against her was substantial she had been with her sister and her mother right before they died sam doss's brother provided other anecdotes that eroded nanny's image as a cheerful housewife he was suspicious from the beginning when nanny agreed to move hundreds of miles away to marry his brother who he described as a plain working man. And he witnessed her taunt his brother by smoking in front of him, which he was vehemently against and wearing revealing clothing, revealing for the time. And he described her as smart and a shrewd liar. Um, And this is something that I thought was awesome. In Tori Telfer's book, Lady Killers, Deadly Women Throughout History, she describes Nanny as a twisted parody of the 1950s housewife. She was the biggest news story in 1954, and Nanny loved this newfound celebrity status. She always had her hair curled, wore cat-eye glasses, a string of pearls, red lipstick. She was always ready for the cameras. And she gave many TV interviews and would openly flirt with cameramen. It also came out in the press at this time that Nanny had a morbid hobby. She liked to write tombstone epitaphs. She even wrote her grandson's tombstone oh. epitaph, the one she murdered oh, yeah. God. and it said darling how we miss thee oh, gross gosh. Uh, nanny's lawyers tried to go the mentally incompetent route 
This was a plea of not guilty by default. She continued to talk incessantly to the police and her lawyers had to actually tell her to stop talking to them. During the early days prior to trial, many of the bodies of her dead husbands and family members were exhumed. Not surprisingly, many of them tested positive for arsenic, including her mom's. She refused to admit that she killed her mother, like I said. And at one point she stated, I would get down on my knees and crawl anywhere for my mother. So for this affable grandmotherly woman to admit to killing loved ones would be admitting to being something darker and much more terrifying. The press, they were eating up the lovelorn, abused husband killer, but a mother and baby killer? She was wicked smart. She knew the press wouldn't give her the positive attention and that she would be viewed as a monster. This would show her to be something even more heinous, and she despised the thought of that. It would just taint her image. Prior to trial, as I stated before, eight of Nanny's suspected victims were exhumed. Four dead husbands, mom, had lethal doses of arsenic in their bodies. The rest of the bodies showed signs of suffocation. So if she didn't poison them, she would suffocate or asphyxiate them somehow. Just, again, poisoning someone causes a painful death. Having the strength or longevity to suffocate someone while they are struggling it takes a long time yeah for someone to suffocate it's not yeah. like how it is in you know tv and films right where it's only it takes, like a minute it takes a lot of strength yeah yeah so except for her little grandson ah, i know that wouldn't oh my gosh i know so yeah these were not quick or painless deaths in december of 1954 nanny was sent to a state asylum for 90 days so psychiatrists could determine if she was competent to stand trial or if she would be able to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. Nanny was apparently delighted to have a three-month stay at the psychiatric hospital, and she considered it a vacation. <laughs> oh, and she had a grand old time. She remained in the public eye, got lots of attention, celebrated her 50th birthday there. Her behavior was impeccable, and she got on very well with the staff and psychiatrists. One physician even told the press that she was perfect and is quoted as saying, if you had small children, you'd be delighted to have her as your babysitter. What the fuck? <laughs> How is it that despite all of the incriminating evidence against her and all the investigating and all of that, like knowing what she'd done to get put there in the first place, that you could still say that right, about her? Right, that's pretty... It's almost like that person wanted attention. Right. And you yeah. know, this, this <laughs> and this does not help boost psychiatry's image or credibility whatsoever. I mean, no. come on. However, the physician supervisor, thankfully, did not agree. And on March 14th, 1955, she was declared mentally defective with a marked impairment of judgment and willpower. It was recommended that she be committed long-term to the psychiatric hospital. But the prosecution was not satisfied with this and pressed on with the murder charge. And she was then transferred back to jail. Her lawyers entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. So back in jail while she's waiting uh, trial, Nanny was unhappy because jail was much more confining than the psychiatric hospital. She remained as popular as ever, though, in the press, and she even received a marriage proposal. So I guess it works both ways. Women sending love letters to murderers and serial killers in prison. I guess men do it, too. I was kind of happy to read that. Wow. <laughs> she did not accept, by the way. 
At her sanity hearing, the prosecution had several experts lined up to testify that Nanny was indeed legally sane. He read aloud from a psychiatrist's report, she is a shrewd, clever, sharp, calculating, selfish, self-aggrandizing female whose aggressive behavior under frustration releases her hostility toward men, especially her husband's. One physician even noted that she would laugh and giggle for long periods of time at nothing, which we mentioned before is called pseudobulbar affect. So the defense argued that surely this was a sign of insanity, but this behavior is most likely just sequela, meaning it's a consequence of the traumatic brain injury she suffered as a child. The prosecution pressed on and one of their expert witnesses called her a sociopath and the cleverest criminal they had ever interviewed. And Nanny is said to have laughed out loud. She lolled before lolling was a thing (laughs) at that statement. OMG, you guys are killing me. (laughs) Um, We have always wondered, what is the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath? So a sociopath is what we would now refer to as someone diagnosed as having antisocial personality disorder. And the term sociopath is not as readily used. Um, It's not an official diagnosis. But if we're going to use that for the sake of this discussion, they are erratic, prone to fits of rage, If things don't go the way they have planned, they fall apart, they have multiple criminal infractions, no regard for the safety or well-being of others, no conscience or sense of remorse. Basically, they don't tend to have their shit together. And to get a diagnosis of ASPD, again, that's uh, antisocial personality disorder slash sociopath, someone would have to show a history of criminal behavior or signs of this personality as an adolescent. They would have had to have been previously diagnosed with something called conduct disorder as a teen. Um, I've worked with several clients who would fit this description, and these are very angry people, and they don't fit in well to society. That is a big difference when you're looking at like the traits of a psychopath. But there are definite similarities between ASPD and psychopathy. Um, they both lack empathy. They don't have the ability to consider another person's feelings or like, you know, put themselves in someone's shoes. Mm. They share a pattern of disregard for the rights of others. They don't care if they violate another person's rights. But psychopathy has long been debated in psychology as to whether or not it's a mental disorder. There's no affiliated diagnosis uh, in something that we use called the DSM-5-TR. Um, there's no diagnosis for it in this in uh, the DSM right now, but it's often considered to be a type of personality disorder. I mean, obviously, it's not typical, right? Um, a psychopath actually was in the first two editions of the DSM, but it was dropped, and there's several possible reasons that it was dropped. Some people felt it would be too much of a burden on a person to have that stigma if they were diagnosed as a psychopath. Um, it's historically misunderstood. It's underfunded. Not a lot of people study it. So it's just kind of seen as a disorder, but it's not in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, in case you wanted to know. Oh, that's a, that's a long string of really yeah. big words. <laughs> uh, anyway, so in contrast, and, and just to say what a psychopath is typically like, uh, they are smooth operators. They can stay calm and cool under pressure. They often may not have much of a criminal history because they want to keep up appearances that they are leading a normal life. And oftentimes, 
they're able to appear as if they are living a normal life. And this can go on for years. So if we're talking in the case of a serial killer, this is important because they want to be able to continue carrying out whatever they're doing, whatever their sick passion or evil action is. They want to carry that out as long as possible without getting caught. A psychopath, they tend to be more manipulative than a sociopath. They are often charming. They're able to follow social conventions when it suits them, like keeping a job, being a Boy Scout troop leader, being a clown at a kid's birthday party, like John Wayne Gacy. So Nanny Doss definitely, she fit the bill for being a sociopath. But however, we don't know really a whole lot about what she was like as a teenager, Mm -hmm. uh, other than she was rebellious and a bit boy crazy. And because of her head injury, can we really say, you know, that she was a sociopath? Yeah, because like, had she not been injured in such a way that probably did have an effect on how she developed as a person, like what, what would she have been like? Yeah. Had her life, you know, gone another path and she'd never been injured. Yeah. So I guess you could say she has like this asterisk when, if you're describing her as a sociopath, because Mm -hmm. she showed the poor judgment, impulsivity, lack of remorse. She was aggressive at times. So yeah, it was most likely caused by her head injury and not the true definition of antisocial personality disorder. So I guess you could call it acquired sociopathy. Hmm. I guess I had the terminology mixed up the way you described a psychopath i imagined a sociopath as okay i i had it the other way around but now that you've described them and i understand the difference between the two i can say i think i probably know a few psychopaths yeah you know it's they're surprisingly they they live amongst us yeah like you know everyday people so and you know you might be thinking if a personality disorder is technically a mental illness why was she not declared insane Mm. well that's because a sociopath a psychopath and someone with any other personality disorder they know right from wrong they just don't care they do this anyway Mm -hmm. so if a person who let's say has schizophrenia their thought process can be so disordered that they don't know right from wrong so that's Mm. where that plea of not guilty by reason of insanity can um, come into play gotcha Yeah. So when you're looking at the big picture, a psychopath is by far more dangerous because they are usually able to carry out their dark deeds for a much longer time without getting caught. They come off as normal people at a glance, like think Ted Bundy, BTK, John Wayne Gacy, serial killers. I was thinking of Dexter. Dexter. Exactly. (laughs) Perfect example. He fits that uh, to a T. And there are many different levels of being a psychopath. Some have like more severe traits. Some have more mild traits. Some people who don't seem to be like a psychopath at all could have a few traits. But I want to stress that most people with psychopathic traits do not become murderers or serial killers. There are probably several CEOs with high-powered, high-paying jobs who have psychopathic traits, and they're not serial killers that we know of. And I would love to do a whole show about psychopathy, and we can take a quiz to see if we have any psychopathic traits. That would be awesome, because there is a a psychologist who developed a specific quiz that can determine if someone is most likely to be a psychopath or not. Interesting. Let's do it. Okay, we will. Do I really want to know the answer? (laughs) All right, now, back to Nanny Doss. So after three days of testimony, it only took the jury 15 minutes to decide that Nanny was indeed a sane person, and she agreed with this. 
She stated to the press, I have never felt more sane in my whole life. It's almost like she was, you know. Well, if she says it, it must be true. Exactly. <laughs> Before trial could start, however, Nanny pled guilty on May 17th, 1955. And it is speculated that she did this because she may have assumed that she would get a lighter sentence for admitting guilt or that she may have even been sent back to the asylum, which again was her vacation place. Mm. And she really wanted to go back there, apparently. Her sentencing took place that June and she received life in prison, even though the prosecution urged the judge to consider the death penalty. He could not bring himself to send Nanny to the electric chair because she was a woman. But it didn't stop that judge from Ohio, did it? No, it did not. (laughs) At that time, no woman had been put to death in the state of Oklahoma. She entered prison on June 4th. She made the most of prison. She got to watch movies and television. She went to these female prisoner-only dances. She was living it up. She was popular. All of these things she was unable to do while married to Sam Doss, remember? Mm-hmm. Now, none of her family visited her in prison, which was no big surprise. So Nanny maintained her sick and twisted sense of humor, and this is awesome, even joked, quote, when they get short in the kitchen, I always offer to help out, but they never let me work there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bummer. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> After two years of prison, she did become very depressed. She made statements that she had lost her will to live and wanted to be tried for other murders in the other states where they were committed in hopes that she could get the electric chair. So, Dang. dark. Yeah. And 10 years into her prison time on June 2nd, 1965... Nanny died of leukemia. She is buried at Oak Hill Memorial Park in McAllister, Oklahoma. And Hmm. that is Nanny Doss. Wow. You know, it'd be interesting if they did um, an autopsy on her brain. Yeah. You know, I wonder if they did those things back then. Wow. Just to see if there was some damage in that frontal part. Oh, right. See if that had any. I don't think she was cremated. No. Of course, there's not much left of her brain by now. No, no. no. It's been a while. Right. It's been a minute. Just a couple atoms (laughs) brain matter. Yeah. So, Ken's, we got some reviews to share. Yes, we do. All right. Just want to give a quick shout out to all of our listeners and followers. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. And your feedback is much appreciated. We've already gotten a couple of five-star reviews. Woohoo! Uh, so today I wanted to share one from, uh, this is on Apple, Summer Pum Pum. Uh, Summer wrote, love this podcast and the amazing storytelling from these fun, sweet, and brilliant ladies. Aww. Well, thank you so much, Summer. We love appreciate you. Love you, Summy. Love you, <laughs> Okay, everybody. Thanks for joining us. If you guys want to reach out to us, shoot us a message. We'd love to hear from you guys. You can reach us at spooktacularnowpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at spooktacularnow or on Instagram at the spooktacularnow. We'd love to hear from you guys. And uh, so come hang out with us. Come say hey. Yeah, don't forget to like, share, subscribe. And rate. Five stars. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.